now, a very good morning to you. Good morning. It is Monday, the 12th of February, 2024. How are you? Hope you had a lovely weekend. Did you have a nice weekend? Did you wait up very late through the night? That's if you're in the UK, that is. To watch the Super Bowl, I can't tell you for the life of me which number Super Bowl it was. But it took place in Las Vegas last night. The broadcast media here in the UK, full of it this morning. It went into overtime, apparently. The Kansas City Chiefs winning in overtime, coming from behind to beat the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, it's not my thing, uh, the Super Bowl, but it's notable, it's a big event, and it is watched around the world. So there you are. If you waited up for it, maybe you're still up, maybe you're having a few beers. Who knows, it's uh, 6.16 now, as I record this uh, Monday morning. Now let's look at the front pages of the UK dailies. The Daily Express, Shaps, Woke Culture is Poisoning Common Sense. And this is the Defence Secretary. He says a poisonous woke culture is threatening to distract the British Army from protecting the country. We might come back to that in a few minutes. I think we will. It is the same lead story on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. Shaps, woke extremists are rife in army. And we'll read a little of that Telegraph story in a moment. Also on the front page of the Telegraph, Clinton, Biden's age is a legitimate issue. Yes, Hillary Clinton, former Democratic Party candidate for the presidency. She lost to Trump, didn't she, in 2016. She's been speaking this weekend and says, yes, yes, Biden's age is a legitimate issue. She says, if Trump's age is an issue, And it is, she says, and he's two years younger than Biden. Well, then obviously Biden uh, and his age is legitimately uh, discussed or a discussion point. She does go on to say, though, uh, does Hitlery, as she was dubbed by the great Gerald Salente, Hitlery Clinton, she goes on to say that uh, she supports uh, Biden and that he has done a good job, she says. Yeah. The Times. Bonus ban for water bosses who break rules is the lead story. And this is about a report on water company bosses and calls for them to be banned from receiving bonuses if the company is found to have committed criminal acts of pollution. There's lots of stories in recent weeks about the quality of water in UK rivers and reservoirs. I don't drink tap water myself. I avoid it like the plague. Uh, The Sun. Excuse me, there is a photograph of Charles and Camilla on The Sun. The headline is King's Wave of Hope. Yes, what a hero. In his first public outing since announcing he had been diagnosed with cancer, he went to church on Sunday and he waved to what The Sun says, were cheering crowds. I doubt there were crowds there. But anyway, yeah, so that's... uh, To this point, they haven't announced exactly which type of cancer he is battling. Uh, The Daily Mirror. My new life is the headline. And it's a story about Alex Batty. We won't dwell on it. He's the teenager who was abducted by his mum six years ago. 
and uh, was found in rural France in December. And now he's back home and he's doing well. The Guardian headline overseas students in push to clear names over English test cheating. And this is a report into international students of UK universities who want to clear their names after more than 35,000 of them were accused of cheating, leading to some being expelled and deported. You can read that online if you're interested in it. TheGuardian.co.uk Financial Times leads with the US presidential election, the forthcoming election. Trump opens Trump opens 11-point poll lead over Biden on stewardship of US economy. That's the front page and the, the financial, excuse me, that is the Financial Times lead story. The Metro goes with unhinged, unhinged. Biden versus Trump in war of words. The Metro writes, a battle has erupted between Trump and Biden over the former's comments that suggested he would encourage Russia to invade its neighbours if they hadn't paid their share of NATO's budget. Yes, and a number of broadcasters are going with this story today and wondering if it's a known goal by Trump. The classic Trumpism that you know, classic bluster and bullshit, really. Um, I would encourage Putin to invade NATO countries if they weren't paying their dues, basically. You might hear more about that throughout the day. The Daily Mail headline is, So Has Labour Really Changed? And this is about a an Israeli MP. And we'll talk about that. It's about an Israeli MP and his opinion on the October 7th attack in southern Israel and the Israeli government's response. So we'll talk about that now in a few minutes' time. Uh, the eye paper, Hunt braced for double budget blow this week, and that's a story that alleges uh, that there won't be... Let me just have a quick look at that. I didn't read this in the eye paper. I tell you what, we'll just leave it. Budget blow this week, we'll leave it. I didn't read it. So we'll leave it alone. Or, or can I read a few... Um, can I read a few lines from it? No, I can't. Let's leave it. Let's go inside the papers then to see what's inside the papers. Okay, let me just bring it up. This uh, Monday, the 12th of Feb, 2024. Okie doke. Right, Telegraph. So this was the lead story on the front page of the Telegraph. MOD has 93 diversity networks. The Ministry of Defence has 93 different diversity networks for personnel to discuss race, gender and mental health, as The Telegraph can reveal. The staff networks, which are groups for civil servants and those serving in the armed forces to discuss issues around diversity, include seven for LGBT issues, 14 for race issues and 10 for gender issues. Jesus. The groups issue diversity guidance, display posters and celebrate diversity-related events across the armed forces. In comparison, the Home Office has 19 formal staff networks, the Ministry of Justice has 18, while the MOD has 20 focused on disability issues alone, including the Defence Neuroinclusivity Network, Defence Stammering Network and the Defence Epilepsy Network. This is not a joke. This is not parody. 
This is actually happening. Last month, John Glenn, the Cabinet Office Minister, ordered a review into civil service diversity networks as part of a drive to maintain its impartiality. And as I mentioned, the front pages today, the Defence Secretary Grant Shapps has vowed to basically break up this madness and end this wokeism in the Defence Forces, which which something he claims is um, weakening the nation's defences, right? So that's uh, the story in the uh, Telegraph. That's the front page story in the Telegraph. And, and the Sunday Telegraph yesterday revealed the army wants to relax security checks for recruits from overseas to boost diversity. It's madness, that, isn't it? Opening, I mean, how much money are they spending on it? It doesn't say. Lots of these groups being opened up so that people can go and find a safe space, you know, army personnel to discuss stammering and to discuss epilepsy and Jesus, Mary and Joseph. We'll leave that one. Telegraph. Uh, The Times. Now, this is getting a lot of coverage by the broadcast media today. Labour sticks with Rochdale candidate who said Hamas attack was Israeli conspiracy. That's the Times headline. I'll read a bit of it. So the Labour Party is sticking with a parliamentary candidate who claimed that Israel deliberately allowed the Hamas terrorist attacks of October 7th to happen to give it the green light to invade Gaza. So what we're talking about here is a man called Azar Ali, who's an MP for Labour in Rochdale. And this is no secret. He's said this in Parliament. He believes that the Israeli government and the Israeli Defence Force allowed the attack to happen in October because it wanted to invade Gaza. So that is an opinion. That's his opinion. And the broadcast and print media today are trying to bring an enormous amount of pressure to bear on Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, so that he will basically pull the rug out from under Azar Ali, who is an MP, and who has a majority of 9,668 in Rochdale. Um, They... They want the Labour Party basically to ditch him. So let me read a bit of this. Ali, who will defend a majority of, as I said, 9,668 in the Rochdale by-election this month, was forced into a grovelling apology after he was recorded telling a local Labour Party meeting that Israel had chosen to remove its border guards after being given advance warning of the attack in which 1,400 people were killed. However, Starmer, Labour leader, is facing questions over his decision to stick by Ali in a fresh test of his claim to have rooted out anti-Semitism after the Jeremy Corbyn era. So the Labour leader is said to have accepted that Ali's immediate apology shows he wasn't motivated by prejudice and the party has signalled that it will continue to campaign for him as normal and allow him to take the whip if elected. The Conservatives are calling on Starmer to suspend his, Ali's campaign in Rochdale and expel him over what it called grotesque anti-Semitic conspiracy theorists, theories even. So this is where we are now in 2024. This is the normalisation, okay? And what what it is, it's it's trying to culturally normalise, I believe, okay, um, the 
the reality that if you have the wrong opinion, what is deemed to be wrong, what is deemed to be incorrect, if you say the wrong thing, that the consequences for you could be fatal. And what we mean by fatal, we mean in terms of your employment, in terms of your, your standing in society. What, what, what should happen, of course, is, is nothing. And Jewish people who don't need me or you or anybody to defend them, Jewish people in Rochdale, if they don't like this guy, Ali, and if they disapprove of his take on what has happened in, in Israel, well, they should feel perfectly free not to lend him their vote in the forthcoming by-election. It's as simple as that. Not, not just Jewish people, but anybody. Anybody in Rochdale who thinks, ah, that guy's a bit of an idiot, I won't vote for him on the by-election on the Thursday, whenever it happens in Rochdale. But the broadcast media, the print media, and I'm not exaggerating here, are demanding of the Labour Party leader and other senior Labour Party politicians that they distance themselves from Ali and basically kick him out of the party. Now, the Times of Israel has pretty much said that, which um, Azar Ali is saying, and that is that there are some very serious questions to ask about October 7th. Namely, why did the Israeli Defence Force ignore its own watchers, its own spies, most of them women, who told uh, their superiors that something big was coming because they were watching Hamas militants mobilise on the other side of the fence. Why? Why was there no response from the IDF for over six hours after the Hamas attack began? Ali says it's because, in his opinion, the Israelis allowed it to happen to justify, to give them the international justification for doing what it is doing now, which is committing genocide. And if you're following this overnight, you'll know that Israel has begun the bombing of Rafah, right, which is where the remaining, those Palestinians who haven't left the country, over a million of them, um, despite cries from and calls by other international leaders not to do this, Netanyahu's government and the IDF are proceeding in any case and possibly thousands, possibly tens of thousands more Israeli men, women and children are going to die as a result of it. The Israelis are justifying it this morning by saying, well, we've recovered two hostages alive, so there. So I'm going to leave that one there, okay? We can't have, the, you know, the, the Conservatives, Conservative Party is saying, the broadcast and print media is saying, in unison, the digital editions, got to get rid of this guy, Ali, because of his grotesque anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. There's nothing anti-Semitic about it. There's nothing grotesque about it. He is saying what a lot of people in Israel are saying. Why did this happen? It shouldn't have happened. We knew it was going to happen, and yet the Israeli defence forces were nowhere to be seen. So therefore you ask the question, was it a deliberate act of standing down? And if so, why? And could you ask the question that if it was a stand-down order, was it because they wanted to do what they're doing now, which is basically you know, expelling the people of Gaza, the Palestinians, through the Egyptian border, bombing them back to the Stone Age. Could it be? So you'll see a lot of this and hear a lot of it today because the broadcast media, as I said, is all over it. Let's look at The Guardian, inside The Guardian. More than 11 million Britons have less than £1,000 in savings. Holy God. 
This is serious. More than 11 million working-age people in Britain don't have basic rainy-day savings of at least a grand, according to a report warning that the poorest households are struggling to build up financial resilience amid the cost-of-living crisis. The Resolution Foundation, which is a think tank, said people across Britain faced a triple savings challenge of insufficient savings and inability to cope financially with major life events such as family breakdown and inadequate retirement incomes. It said the Resolution Foundation 11.2 million people lived in households that had savings of less than £1,000 accounting for about one in three working age households. As many as half lived in the poorest third of households in Britain. In a report with the Financial Fairness Retrust, excuse me, the Financial Fairness Trust, the foundation estimated that the UK had a £74 billion shortfall of funds saved for emergencies and for retirement, compared with a country in which every family had at least three months of income kept in precautionary savings. So this is what David Icke dubbed some years ago before the COVID scam, the Hunger Games Society. It's a deliberate tactic by those behind the technological transhumanist agenda, the Great Reset agenda, in order to get people, in order to convince people, in order to to compel people to comply with what is coming down the line, okay, the open-air prison planet they are building, um, you've got to impoverish them. And that is what we have seen in recent years with some of the biggest global geopolitical events, the medical events, the emergencies, fake and real, uh, you know, um, deliberately designed and, and, and those that happen by design, to impoverish people, to put them in a place where they have nowhere to go effectively, and that they will take, grasp, grab with both hands the solutions, the ready-made solutions that the the elites have ready to go effectively. You know, you will own nothing and you will be happy. Uh, universal basic income, right? All of that. Um, central bank digital currencies. It's all coming down the line they believe the the cast iron assurance, the, the way they can guarantee that people will accept it is if they plunge people into abject poverty. Less than a, More than 11 million people have less than a grand in the bank or in the credit union or under the mattress, whereby if they lose their job or if they have a financial disaster, like something goes wrong with their house or something goes wrong with their car or they become ill and they don't have any coverage. Um, they're basically going to be on the street. That's what the report is saying. Horrible story in the Express. It's also in the mirror. Four boys aged 12 to 14 arrested on suspicion of rape. This is a horrendous story. It took place or it's happening as we speak in Rochdale. Four kids, four boys aged between 12 and 14 have been arrested. Uh on suspicion of raping a child, a very young girl, in a car park. Um, a, a Morrison's supermarket car park in Rochdale. Officers were called on Saturday at tea time to a report of rape on Kingsway in Newbold, Greater Manchester. A police forensic tent was erected then 
and it is still there this morning. There's also a big police presence there this morning, despite this happening on Saturday. The child, the alleged victim, is being supported by specialist officers and the papers reporting the Express, the crime scene remains in place. People are in shock. That's going to receive a lot of coverage as well. Um, The lads who are accused cannot be named because they are children, but the Twitter accounts of, you know, the likes of Tommy Robinson and others speculating about the ethnicity of these lads. This is going to go on and on and on and on. It's a horrible story. You'll have others speculating about children's access to violent pornography on their smartphones, the ease with which kids can, you know, access such material. And there'll be a lot of discussion around around that too. It's a horrible story. It really is. It's getting a lot of coverage, as I said. Staying with The Mirror, Fury as infamous neo-Nazi biker gang Mongrel Mob launches bid to set up UK chapter. This is an interesting story. Apparently there is a biker gang which um, was founded in New Zealand known as the Mongrel Mob. They're neo-Nazis apparently and criminals notorious for very violent um, attacks against rival motorcycle chapters. They're in Gloucester now, apparently. They've set up a chapter in Gloucester under the name The Riders. And the Mirror is warning about this gang today. There were more than 2,500 members in New Zealand. They use the Nazi salute. They say Sig Heil or Sig Effing Heil. They tattoo their faces with swastikas and other such things. So the expansion to Gloucester, says the Mirror, a cathedral city with more than 130 residents in the southwest of England, has caused alarm. As the riders, this group, the riders, uh, use the same patch, a red and black English bulldog wearing a Wehrmacht steel helmet. Neo-Nazi biker gangs arriving in the UK. Uh, the Mirror goes on to say they've also got a fondness these bikers for XL bully type dogs. There you are. So if you're in Gloucester, keep an eye out for the mongrels <laughs> or the mongrel mob. And um, back to the Telegraph. Former Dutch Prime Minister and wife die hand in hand in double euthanasia. I'll tell you the most shocking thing about this in a minute. So Dries van Acht and his wife Eugenie were 93 and chose to take their lives together and did. Euthanasia was legalised in the Netherlands a few years ago. He died hand in hand with his beloved wife Eugenie van Acht um, according to the Rights Forum. Now, the Rights Forum is a charity he founded some years ago. He met his wife when they were students at uni. So they lay down together and they took a, this was supervised of course, it's as I said legal in the Netherlands and they chose to die together. They were unwell and had been unwell but it isn't clear if they were terminally ill. And this is the thing, I mean it bothers me anyway whether they were terminally ill or not but here's the thing that spooked me and you know there's a massive drive to legalise euthanasia 
right across Europe, certainly here in the UK, which, is, which of course is in theory no longer a member of the European Union, in theory, but it is in all but name, and in Ireland. Here's the thing, that, and, and we should be very scared about that, we should be very nervous about it. Uh, this guy was very vocal on the Israel-Palestine conflict, was Dries Van Acht, and uh, wrote books about Netanyahu calling him a war criminal. Here's the thing that you think now, it's only been a few years since the Netherlands legalised euthanasia. Um, would you believe that now, now, euthanasia accounts for 5% of total deaths per annum in the Netherlands, and that is a number that is growing. Can you believe that? And that's a graph in the Telegraph claiming this. I've got to do some more research into this. But a graph in the Telegraph shows that there is a steep, steep upward trend on the graph in the amount of deaths per annum attributable to euthanasia. It's terrible. And we know in Belgium it's happened that people have taken their own lives because of mental health problems. It's awful. We'll leave that one there. You're listening to The Papers with me, Richie Allen, for Monday, the 12th of February. The Sun. Gas crackdown. Hippie crack footballers' transfer breaks down after more clubs start testing aces for laughing gas. Nitrous oxide is all the rage. Mentioned this on a previous edition of the papers. You'll find the little silver canisters everywhere in certain housing estates. You know, kids use it. I don't know where they buy this stuff. I have no idea. But you see these little canisters around. And teams are noticing a difference in the expected long capacity of players using this nitrous oxide and how it affects their performances. And, according to The Sun, one player was set to sign for a championship club, which is the second tier of English football, and the deal collapsed after his medical because the medical discovered his nervous system was ravaged by the use of nitrous oxide or hippie crack, the laughing gas. It's everywhere. That's interesting in uh, the sun. And I'm going to finish with a story in the Telegraph today. Um, Here's one we'll finish with. In the Telegraph, trigger warnings for soft audiences must be scrapped, says who? Well, Ray Fiennes. Rafe Fines has called for trigger warnings to be ditched, and he said stage performances ought to leave audiences shocked and disturbed. They ought to disturb you, says Rafe Fines. The actor is starring at the moment in an immersive touring production of Macbeth alongside Indira Varma. He said the aspect of surprise is what makes theatre so exciting. He was speaking to Laura Kunzberg on the BBC on Sunday morning. Pre-performance trigger warnings for violence, language, loud noises and even references to smoking, among other things, have become a commonplace fixture of modern theatre. But Fines has now joined Sir Ian McKellen and Biggins, Christopher Biggins, in calling for them to be scrapped. He told Koonsberg um, that, yes, audiences have gone soft. She asked him, are they soft? He said, yes, they are. We didn't used to have trigger warnings. There are disturbing scenes in Macbeth, terrible murders and things, but I think the impact of theatre is that you should be shocked and you should be 
disturbed here, here I say. Well done, Rafe Fines. Shakespeare's plays are full of murder and horror, he said, and as a young student and lover of the theatre, I never experienced trigger warnings like, oh, oh, by the way, in King Lear, Gloucester's going to have his eye pulled out, or his eyes pulled out. Yes, that's right. I wasn't warned of it either. <laughs> when I went to see King Lear many, many, many years ago. That is kind of it for this edition of The Papers. Uh, thank you for listening to it and thank you for spreading the word about it. Uh, the Richie Allen Show, the live radio show, which is live, and of course it's very interactive. We'll be back on air this afternoon, Monday, at exactly four o'clock UK time, and I hope to see you there. I do hope to see you there. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your Monday. Uh, the weather is wet and windy for the UK for the whole of the week, so wrap up well. Speak later. Bye now.